Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Super science from the 20th century! One man uses transistors and microtechnology to create a cybernetic helmet, a future piece of technology that allows him to speak to ants! Whoa. I'm sorry, what? He can, you know, ants? Y- yeah, the little, mm-hmm. They're very little! So it's like, honey, I shrunk the kids with the little ant when he's leading them on the... No, he can talk to lots of ants! And then the ant, like, saves him from, like, the scorpion, and that's why I have a lifelong fear of scorpions uh, to this day. Rick Moranis has nothing to do! (laughs) I'm trying to pitch a hero for the 20th century! Oh my god, you just made me realize how bad I want to see Rick Moranis as Pim. (laughs) I didn't even think about that! I... you're... (laughs) Listen, I just, I need to get this character published. It's the future of superheroes. I just want to see how long you're going to be able to maintain this voice. Hear me out. He's very insecure, and we're not going to stick with a gimmick for more than five issues. <laughs> this, uh, welcome, everyone. Uh, by the way. Wait, I, hear me out. Oh, His, yes. He has a hot wife that he treats like garbage. Okay. Isn't that appealing? Mm. Doesn't that make you want to buy action figures? It's different. It's very different. (laughs) Don't worry. We'll say he's crazy or some shit and try again. Okay, but what happens after that? It didn't work, so we'll say he was crazy and try again. (laughs) We'll just make him gradually more evil and more evil. We'll replace him with some ginger guy, and he'll just walk around, and the ginger guy will also be him. (laughs) This is like a Cliff's Notes for the entire episode. It's a great idea and not the single weirdest concept born from the entire industry of serialized comic books. How many issues can I put you down for? Um, I'll take the whole lot. That's a sale. <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to our astonishing episode about the teeny tiny, growy woey, slappy happy Ant-Man. Hello, everybody, and welcome to your Ant-Man episode. It's me, the very tiny, minuscule micro wizard, Holden McNeely. It's me, large, well, 12 feet tall. <laughs> I can just grow to 12. It's like pretty big for a guy, guy, <laughs> giant man, bruiser Jake. Are you upset I made you giant man? Uh, no, everyone loves giant man. <laughs> hey, are you, hey, hey, Hulk, are you even stronger than me and can fit through doorways? That's cool. <laughs> oh, Thor, you're also strong? Oh, everyone on this team is strong and I have no point? Great. This is really where we're going to immediately get to with Ant-Man. Ant-Man, the, the little 
hero that could could he I, could he i don't he is i mean in a sense i mean he was in he's in endgame he like he's, i feel like he's that's very vital in endgame i think that's ant-man's crowning achievement to this point at, the, at at this current moment is that he got into an avengers movie and not only did he get into it he got into he made it right at the finish line i feel like this whole we were just talking about ant-man before we started recording and about how i feel like paul rudd is just dragging this fucking <laughs> character just across this end game finish line barely just by on his boot heels you know what i mean he's very charming he's a very charming <laughs> actor he it's- is and he's perfect to play uh scott lang the second incarnation of ant-man of course we will go through the whole history of ant-man starting with the um the wild swinging 60s everybody everybody's trying weed for the first time and having fuck orgies and also a little known studio a little known publication company named marvel comics decided they wanted a little bit more of a sci-fi bro to round out their cavalcade of caustic, I can't think of a C word to describe a superhero. Crusaders. Crusaders. Thank Thank you. you. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this show, by the way. By the way, thank you for listening um, to our show about Ant-Man. So we've talked about this kind of early Marvel bullpen. We talked about how Stan Lee and his brother Larry and team of artists were these just scrappy guys. And how Stanley was by the '60s, you know, and like kind of an older soul. He was like kind of the business guy. He was kind of the marketing guy, and was kind of like producing these like this weird mix of like quote unquote collaborative ideas, where he's like inventing stuff by looking at things that other people are giving him and being like, "We should make this." It is so like there's from what it seems there's clearly two guys that created co-created Ant Man, and they were definitely not. Jack Kirby and Stan Lee, which are the two guys credited with creating Ant-Man, uh, you know, alongside other people. It's funny, too, because, like, I I, I keep now at this point, we've talked about the history of Jack Kirby. W- w- is there a good episode for people to go check out the history of Jack Kirby? Maybe s- s- the Stan Lee episode. I can't remember where I've like, we've d- never we've we've gone like we've we've hand waved it a bunch of times. We've talked about his history uh, as an animator, how he went to the army, how he was this kind of like serious guy and how, especially in terms of like, in terms of credit, how the quote unquote Marvel method where the artists like put together the pages and then Stan or another writer would just fill in the bubbles would actually create these weird schisms in actual authorial intent and how stuff like how uh, Jack Kirby would draw like the invisible woman kicking ass in a panel and then like Stan Lee would come in and in the word balloon write like I'm just a lady thank God Reed like taught me how to do a judo throw <laughs> <laughs> so Ant-Man is actually a very early creation within the Marvel pantheon like uh, he's very much a Silver Age character yes. which is where these like uh, the Silver Age we usually talk about as being ushered in by the Silver Age Flash this super science based hero uh, instead of like just a magic based hero or or a or, god yeah. like a, a a mythology based hero or something like that. Um. Or yeah, I'm already I'm already hemming and hawing. Hold on, <laughs> I needed to like get rid of my insecurity, and I need to just be like Jake, say the facts. <laughs> so Hank Pym, Henry yes. Pym, uh, first appears in I believe it's 1961. 
Not in 1962's Tales to Astonish, number 27. Tales to Astonish is a sci-fi anthology that ran from 1959 to 1968, and it eventually transitioned into more superhero comics as time rolled on into the Silver Age of comics. But originally, it was just sci-fi, maybe a little horror, stuff like that. Uh, When you think of early uh, Marvel stuff with Stanley and Jack Kirby, where it's, uh, the monster Globor from Planet V. <laughs> like it's that stuff. It's the 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 superhero adventures really didn't kick in until the success of the Fantastic Four. And the, and the, Henry Pym, Hank Pym, the shrinking man, uh, isn't a superhero in this first story. The man in the ant hill is the name of uh, the, the the first story with Henry Pym in 1962. Henry Pym has a serum that can shrink, then re-enlarge <laughs> objects. He uses it on himself and ends up getting trapped in an anthill colony. One friendly ant saves his life. Never again did Henry Pym knowingly step upon an anthill, for he knew that somewhere beneath him was one little insect, one small ant, to whom he owed his very life. The so, story so literally ends you, with him pouring the this, the formula down the yeah, drain. Yeah, it's it's him done with it for good. And I, I just want to go and say our first nod that they completely ripped this off from Honey I Shrunk the Kids because you have the That's ant not in that how movie. Time works, Holden. <laughs> That's literally your, it's not, Rick Moranis did not use quantum physics to travel to a fixed point in time (laughs) to steal the idea. You just gave the exact uh, mode and method operandi. If you haven't seen Avengers Endgame, it's about Rick Moranis traveling through time to steal the ideas for Honey, I Trunk the Kids. Dude, that would be amazing. He's like Brainiac or whatever, (laughs) which is like not even, I think that's DC. Very DC. But I love it. I want to see that now. That's the next move, right? Well, again, I always talked about how I posited that I think the next like way forward for Marvel, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, a whole caper series of films where they steal Wonder Woman from DC <laughs> and bring her to Marvel and save her life. Uh, uh, one of the things that's um, introduced in this early story is A, uh, Hank Pym as just generic adventure scientist number 817 in all of these Marvel sci-fi stories. And two, the idea that he's he kind of has a chip on his shoulder. That uh-huh. his uh, role within the greater scientific community is one that is ridiculed and that people don't treat him with respect and that that drives his uh, need to experiment and to create, to kind of prove the haters wrong, to kind of uh, uh, establish his own worth. Um, Which is, you know, kids who read comic books never feel like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, spoiler alert, the thesis statement for this episode for me is going to be Hank Pym is the most comic book character who has ever lived. Okay. Also, another key thing is the way that the shrinking and unshrinking happens uh, in these early stories, even up until like the 70s and 80s, is all about him actually physically drinking a formula or popping a pill or inhaling a gas. Yeah. Like, they refuse to just give him the convenience of superpowers. Right, right. Until, like, eventually some writer is like, this is so inconvenient. Uh, (laughs) And you don't even, like, draw him taking the drug half the time. So when you think of, like, the magic pim particles... That's introduced way later. This is this is specifically his shrinking and unshrinking formulas. So here's how Stanley uh, attempts to take credit for the character. I did one comic called "The Man in the Ant Hill" about a guy who shrunk down, and there were ants or bees chasing him. That sold so well that I thought making him into a superhero might be fun. Uh, so what we get is eight issues later, Ant Man returns in issue number thirty-five with a thirteen-page, three-chapter story. 
um, which is Ant-Man and First Army thing of- is him literally pulling the formula out of the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Ant-Man is the first chapter, and Army of Ants is the second, and the Ant-Man's Revenge is the third. Now Pym has invented a red costume that protects him from ant bites and a helmet that allows him to communicate with the ants, and he uses the Army of Ants to fight against communist agents that are coming after him because the government's having him work on some secret project for the military, and the communists found out about it, and they come to his house to to murder him, and he uh, he is able to uh, lead an ant army uh, against them. That is, for, oh, I love these early Marvel comics. Yeah. Iron Man does this. Early Iron Man does this. Early Avengers does this, and the early Ant Man does this, uh, where he starts talking to ants, and he's like, "Don't worry, I'm using cybernetic technology," <laughs> as if that explains anything. anything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's this is the same era where uh, Iron like Tony Stark will like plug something into his Iron Man costume that lets him shoot like a giant laser cannon. He's like, don't worry, my suit is transistor powered. Like, what the fuck? Stan, just talk to an engineer, please. Um, no, consultants? Nah. There's also uh, a person that we should bring up, which is Larry Lieber. Yes. Who is Stan Lee's brother. Yes. Who we talked about in our Thor episode because Thor is the other kind of like big... Um, in Tales of Suspense, where uh, Stanley, like, whatever, had the idea, but then just handed it off to Larry Lieber. And Larry Lieber is Stanley, Stanley Lieber's brother. Uh, and one of, like, the only surviving creators of this era. So if you mm. can find an interview with him, it's really fascinating. Mm. And he's always been the second banana. He's yeah. always been kind of the the runt of the litter. Uh, you know, it was Stan, like, brought him on as a favor uh, and then discovered that he took too long to draw stuff. So he was like, fuck it, you're a writer now. And then when all of his writing assignments were stuff just like, uh, ah, Kirby needs like a, a story real quick. Like, ham- like fucking, I don't, like all the stuff that Stan Lee couldn't be fucked to deal with, he handed off to Larry, including these Ant-Man stories and mm-hmm. Thor stories and all these other sci-fi things. And like, Also well known for Iron Man stories as well, Lieber. Yeah, um, he, and is weirdly, the thing that he's most proud of, and this is so sad, this is so, like, second banana, uh, is those shitty Iron Man daily newspaper comics. You know, the ones where, like, every time you're in a, you, like, you visited a cousin's house, yeah. and they actually, and in the newspaper was the Spider-Man comic. You're like, like what the fuck's Spider-Man doing in the funny pages? <laughs> <laughs> Why is this happening right now? And it's only three panels, yeah. and, like, for some reason, t- badly drawn Punisher is there. <laughs> like, it's, you can tell it's a Punisher, but he's drawn real weird. Yeah, and he's just like, help me, release me from this work. And you're like, why is the Punisher saying release me from this work? <laughs> so, like, this was this was one of Larry Lieber's, like, babies. This is, you know, the thing that S- Stanley didn't care about and he just handed off to his idiot brother that I'm not, I, obviously I have more respect for him, but <laughs> the, literally Stanley had to walk him downtown and show him how to buy a typewriter. Like, it's, <laughs> this poor guy uh my my question i don't think you can really answer it is like what got them to decide after tales of what happened between tales of sunshine fantastic four superheroes superheroes happened in those eight months between okay and so that's why they were like all right what did we already work on let's bring them back but in superhero form yeah and the idea that that makes a lot more sense now that's and it's a it's a just like how the why the fuck would they just it's it feels like they just 
pulled this character back out of their ass after they had shoved it in their ass. Well, a lot of those early <laughs> monsters from the sci-fi stories ended up coming ended back. Ended up coming back. Think, yes, think, yes, Foom, yes. Groot, all these characters. And Stan Lee is, was very smart. He did have a keen eye, and he knew that any superhero would need a visual hook. And um, Ant-Man's got it with just seeing the very tiny man with the giant uh, in the giant world and the giant man in the... T- yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, seeing the world from that perspective, especially in an era before CG and macro photography, it's a very fun visual gag. Yeah. And in multiple interviews, Stan Lee talks about how it was it was a struggle in the early Ant-Man comics to keep hammering the writers saying, like, you need to throw in, like, coins on the ground, giant coins on the ground or yeah. matchbooks. You Just have to keep or- that perspective at the foremost of you can't just draw him like a normal superhero comic where you can just kind of rely on close-ups and splash pages uh-huh. uh, to show the action because otherwise it's all about scale. The scale is the gimmick here. Yes. Uh, so we get in Tales of Astonish number forty-four. We first get introduced to the Wasp. This is a uh, oh my god. This comic the wasp is by story. The, this is by Stanley H. E. Huntley and Jack Kirby. Now H. E. Huntley, someone I don't think we've talked about too much. Huntley, also known as Hernie Hart, who joined Timely Comics later Double H. later to be a, of course called uh, M- uh, Marvel in the 1940s, working in the animator pen. So he was known for funny comics. He was no, uh, he uh, known for one in particular called Super Rabbit, which is a goofy superhero funny page. These are like old school funny pages type stuff. Real hammy, ridiculous. <laughs> Al Jaffe, who of course uh, would go on to be a, a Mad Magazine. cartoonist for Mad Magazine, said of H.E. Huntley, Ernie was a very lively guy, very funny and fun to be with. And uh, the, he freelanced for Atlas through the 50s and 60s, scripting a short human torch run as well as Ant-Man. Now, in this uh, comic, Janet Van Dyne is introduced. Uh, her scientist father is murdered by an alien blob, so He's she begs Ant-Man. Let's mur- it's v- okay. okay. This comic is very insane. There is an alien blob, Jake. There's an alien blob. <laughs> well, first- I, I can't believe I just jumped right past that. There's the, an alien blob, Jake. The issue starts. This is how this issue starts. The issue starts with Ant-Man or Hank Pym in his lab just font wistfully remembering how he used to be married uh-huh. until the Soviet Union fucking murdered his <laughs> wife when they kidnapped him in Berlin. Okay, I'm with you. And he's like, yeah, it's <laughs> fucked up. It's weird I never mentioned that, but I sure do miss my wife who was fucking murdered by the Soviet Union. Well, you know, I mean, it's like I get how you would forget a tiny fact like that while you were uh, fighting, you know, giant monsters and stuff. Cut to, uh, I already forgot the name of the of the guy, but uh, uh, the Wasp's dad who's like, I'm just sending beams out to space. I hope no blob shows up. <laughs> and a space blob is like, ooh, yummy beam. I'm going to go find where it's coming from. And shows up, uh, the wasp's dad just gets spooked to death. Awesome. Uh, because the, the blob is so horrifying that it could melt men's minds. That's fun. That, that's very, you know, Lovecraftian and everything, right? And, uh, the, and like, in the ensuing chaos, Ant-Man just casually is like, hey there, hey there, Janet, you're a fucking hot socialite teenager. I'm going to put wings on you thanks to cybernetics. There you go. She gets wings. She gets sting blasts. Antennas. And and the ability to shrink. She pretty much just gets, like, way cooler than what Ant-Man was immediately. And she later becomes Pym's girlfriend. Does she become Pym's girlfriend in this issue, or is it later? No, no. There's this uh, very weird uh, on-again, off-again thing 
where she's like this literally written as a ditzy broad uh-huh. who's like boy crazy and clearly younger. This is the weird thing. She is clearly yeah, a teenager right? and Hank Pym is a widower. Yeah. He's, um, he's seen some shit. And it's like, uh, you know, she'll try flirting with uh, Hank Pym in these early issues. She'll be like, yowza, yowza. And Hank Pym will be like, you're just in love with the idea of being in love, you crazy lady. <laughs> Uh, it's very, very 1950s, like, oh, you men kind of humor. But the reason why is Ant-Man's stories weren't selling well. They weren't, like, you know, moving the moving moving things. And in order to help the character, they kind of had to get over the fact that every Ant-Man story before the Wasp was introduced was literally him seeing a problem, shrinking, and then talking to a bunch of ants or to nobody in yeah. particular. He literally has, like, once he, once he's shrunk... There's no one to bounce off against. So you're just saying that with the addition of the wings and the stinger, we now have a super, real superhero that can like actually fight and do things. Yeah, and they do so many weird things to like overcome the fact that they have this like mismatched power, this this redundant yet mismatched power set uh-huh. where they this is amazing in early Ant-Man stories. Ant-Man invented what he calls the catapult. Which is literally a gun, just a tiny, like a, like in terms of scale, it is a handgun that he climbs into and sh- it shoots him to where the trouble is. While the wasp just flies like a normal person, <laughs> or flies like, like a normal, like person. a hero, like a hero, like done. a normal hero, though. Yeah, 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 totally. And it, it's surprising that they don't. I think they do eventually give Ant Man wings, right? At some point, they. Uh, Do they? There's Yellow Jacket, which is a total other deal. Well, and even Pym himself becomes the Wasp for a short period of time while Janet Janet is stuck in the microverse. That actually happens at some point. I I don't know when in the timeline, but I just know that's a little Um, side note. So what should have, like, quote-unquote, fixed the character makes them this weird Wonder Twins duo where they're both kind of over – they kind of just overlap too many circles. Yeah. And um, by the, when it's time to put the Avengers together, uh, it's all the big heroes. It's Iron Man. It's Hulk. It's uh, Captain. I don't know. No, Captain America doesn't show up until they freeze him a couple issues later. Yeah. And then there's Ant Man and the Wasp. Yeah. And uh, even the Wasp. It's it's a famous thing where uh, the last panel of the first Avengers issue, the Wasp is like, we need a name for ourselves, like the team, something like I don't know, the Avengers. <laughs> and Hank Pym goes. Something like nothing, sweetheart. Your dumb lady brain accidentally came up with the best name. (laughs) No, I'm not exaggerating. It is very condescending how they treat Uh, this character. But because in this group dynamic, we have already, because the Wasp already shrinks, so like she can just do whatever Ant-Man would have needed to do. Yeah. And she has an actual unique personality when compared to Tony Stark, the Hulk, and Thor. Like, even with the weird, like, early 60s, like, ha-ha, tee-hee, like, energy, it still brings something to the table besides another square-jawed man. I got it, Jake. I have the perfect solution. We'll make him big. Uh, there you go. It's easy. She can get small and fly around. He can be big. No one else is big. I mean, there's the Hulk, but whatever. No one else <laughs> is big. So we'll just make him big, which is exactly what happens in issue two of the Avengers. Ant-Man appears as Giant Man, and literally Pym later states that he, like feelings of inadequacy as his reason for changing over. I feel like the whole Pym character is constantly commenting on the meta of what they're dealing with with the Ant-Man franchise at all times. So, like, literally, I think 
he's talking about, he's having a conversation as a character that they're having in the writer's bullpen, right? And then they're just like, we'll just, fuck it. We'll just make him a huge guy. Uh, then then huge guy will do crazy stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So Giant, gi- Giant, Man, Giant also, Man, also known as Goliath, uh, he becomes the leader of the Avengers after Captain America left. Pym first appeared as Giant Man in Tales to Astonish number 49. In first thing he does is grow so big that he explodes his house. <laughs> and they go through this they, they go through this weird thing where they like have to explain the rules. That's the other thing about Ant-Man. So many rules. Oh, yeah. So he can only grow to 12 feet tall, which is impressive, but like it's not Godzilla height. <laughs> It's, and isn't it, they they do that dick measuring contest in the Ant Man movies where yeah. because uh Rudd's the Lang eventually gets up to sixty feet tall, right? Yeah. So they're talking about that and like comparing notes. It's like I got sixty feet. It's just like I only got twelve. You know what I mean? <laughs> also, uh he faces the living eraser. That is that was a good comic. That's that is, a good comic. That's an can. alien from Dimension Z sent to erase scientists on Earth, and he's really just sending them to Dimension Z as prisoners to create atomic weapons for them. Literally does the Degeneration X suck it stance to erase people, by the way. Yeah, he crosses his arms. Yeah, <laughs> like over his crotch. It's, some, it's something out of a... It's actually kind of amazing how um, the early Avengers comics feel a little bit like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure because uh-huh. it's never really about uh, villains that can like physically take all of them on at the same time. It's about them discovering some weird space goober like the space phantom yeah. who has some dumb power like, ah, I can change into other people but only by kidnapping them and stealing their energy. Yeah. But if two people are there together, like, and it's just them outsmarting it's and trying to figure out what the rules freak on of the- rules on rules on rules, and yeah. then creating new rules to beat out the old rules, and like finally win the day at the end. By Look up the space phantom if you can. This is an early Avengers villain. I think it's he's the guy in the first Giant Man Avengers issue, and it's he's dumb looking. So Giant Man doesn't become Goliath until Avengers number twenty eight in nineteen sixty six, and he gets a whole new look. It's the yellow and blue. It's a pretty iconic. He has like cover. the chest belt or something. Uh-huh. Uh, he looks like an X Man kind of like the the yellow and blue version of the X-Men. Because uh, they they was like, don't worry, I'm not Ant-Man anymore, I'm Giant-Man. It's like, well, why are you red and still have antenna like an ant? <laughs> like He's like, ant. I, because... I don't know who I am, I'm trying to figure it out, I think I may go on a DMT trip in the desert to try to sort this all out. I've been listening to a lot of Jordan Peterson, I gotta <laughs> clean my room, I really just need to figure my shit out, I'm just very sad all the time, and I don't know who I am. Clean your room, damn it. I love that. That's the answer to everything. So it, it, it actually helps. Like it does help. sneer, like sneer all you want. Like I keep my space very simple and clean because it makes me because I work way better doing it. Look, we're not here to talk about <laughs> cleaning our room. For a bit, he ends up getting trapped in giant form, and this knocks his ego so much that in an attempt to show the world how dope of a scientist he is, he accidentally creates Ultron. This is I <laughs> I didn't get to reread the Ultron saga. And by the way, this is when we real like we were already veering into a dark path for this otherwise silly sci-fi fun goofy character. All of a sudden shit just starts getting really real for this character. Mm-hmm. And I think this it definitely is once he becomes Giant Man in the Avengers, they just lean into the fact that he's kind of useless in a certain to a certain degree his books don't sell his merchandise doesn't sell he's the only character by the very nature of his unpopularity he's the only character that they can like give pathos and kind of change his status quo and have him be a little bit weaker have him be less than heroic 
So he ends up, uh, essentially what happens is, Pim, and, and all right, Pim is feeling shitty because he was stuck as Goliath. He was stuck as a giant for a while, and he couldn't control it. And it made it made him look bad. It made the Avengers look bad, you know, and he's, like, beating himself up about it. So, I think they were doing some – they were already kind of um, uh, laying the groundwork that the Pim particles can affect your, like, sanity. Ah. Which, or, like, his aggression, uh-huh. which um, I can't – which feels like just a retcon whenever, like – because this happens a totally. bunch of times is he does something dumb. They're like, oh, that was bad, but we're not going to kill you off or like put you in jail. Uh, so we'll just say the pin particles made you goofy. So so in his goofy state, he decides he's like, I'm going to prove everybody how great I am. I'm going to create this astounding AI. It's going to be like unbelievable. This robot is just going to just going to be like the most the furthest we've ever gotten in terms of artificial intelligence, even more so than Iron Man could do or anybody. Right. And, and so he creates this machine. And the machine is, uh, which is based on Pym's thoughts and memories. So I, I, why it would end up uh, becoming evil to a certain degree because it's got some of that Pym, evil Pym particle disruption going on. It ends up becoming such smart AI that it it does the Terminator essentially. Do the Terminator? It 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 just lashes out. Uh, uh, you know. Rebels against Pym and and the lab and everything, and eventually becomes the Ultron that we know. Ultra, uh, yeah, and this Ultron keeps the old. It's it's a little more complicated than that. The idea that like Hank Pym, I think it's pretty. It's as simple as that. No, there's like a weird <laughs> amnesia <just> <laughs> thing where like Ultron shows up and like nobody knows where he came from. Uh huh. Because re- he erases Pym's memory of creating him. So yeah. That's why. But that's such a comic book thing, just to make it so that they can do the the. That the origin story can happen like later, and they can you know set the set the and right away stage. they introduce all this melodrama, this psychodrama of like father, you created me, and like uh, I forget if Jocasta comes along like much later, but you know eventually, basically it creates this entire literal Oedipal thing going on where like uh, Ultron wants to kidnap the Wasp because she's his quote-unquote mother. And then Hank Pym's like, I know, I'll create Jocasta, literally the queen from Oedipus. <laughs> and, like, I've made a hot lady robot. And, like, va-va-voom. Uh, Ultron, you marry her. Like, just everything regarding Ultron, uh, A, becomes a credible power threat for the Avengers, and B, becomes this uh, familial, like, psychological threat to the Avengers. That's why he's such a beloved villain. That's why he's such a go-to Avengers villain because they have that history together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it's all based on Hank Pym's like weird inadequacy because yes. he's never going to be the top science dog that's Reed Richards. He's never going to be the strongest character that's the Hulk. He's never even going to be the most popular shrinking character that's the Wasp. But do you think at the end of the day his mental illness is actually what kept the character alive just long enough for them to reboot it? Like it just it made his character just interesting enough for them not to just drop Ant-Man wholesale. You couldn't you couldn't get rid of one of the original Avengers. Yeah. It just you could it's one of the like literally enshrined in the comic canon as one of the holy creations of Stanley and Jack Kirby and Larry Lieber. Um, <laughs> so no one has the balls to just get rid of him. He has to stay. He cannot, you can't erase him. So next Even up- Even if you have an alien who does the G- T-Generation X crotch job. <laughs> 
Yo, what's up everybody? Holden here, and I actually want to talk to you today about something that kind of freaks me out more and more on a daily basis. So, admit it. You think that cybercrime is something that happens to other people. You may think that no one wants your data or that hackers can't grab your passwords or credit card details, but you'd be wrong. Stealing data from unsuspecting people on public Wi-Fi is one of the simplest and cheapest ways for hackers to make money. When you leave your internet connection unencrypted, you might as well be writing your passwords and credit card numbers on a huge billboard for the rest of the world to see. That's why I decided to take action. To protect myself from cyber criminals, I use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. ExpressVPN also has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your computer, phone, and tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes one click, and using ExpressVPN, I can safely surf on public Wi-Fi without being snooped on or having my personal data stolen. For less than $7 a month, you can get the same protection that I have. ExpressVPN is rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash wizard. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash wizard for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash wizard to learn more thanks y'all so next up uh i just love the name living eraser <laughs> he erases the living um next up is the first appearance of yellow jacket oh, first appearing in jacket. avengers number 59 by roy thomas and john bushima thomas is known for bringing conan the barbarian to comics which created the sword and sorcery trend there as well as his work on X-Men. The Avengers definitely check out our X-Men. Any X-Men episode probably brings him up. Roy the Boy Thomas comes up all the time. And Bushima also comes up a lot. Did over 200 stories on Conan before becoming known for his work on Avengers and the Silver Surfer. Yellow Jacket is a brash anti-hero who claims to have eliminated Goliath. Turns out to be Pym himself. He's like, I'm Goliath. I have destroyed him. And everyone's like, what? Who is this? Yellow old, jacket. Wait, uh, what's the line? What's the old Taylor can't come to the phone right now? <laughs> Why not? She's dead. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happened. Um, Tay Tay stole that from uh, the Yellow Jacket arc. The whole deal with Yellow Jacket <laughs> is um, he has the Wasp power set, so now he can do the zaps. You know what he it is? Fly. It's it's Urkel. <laughs> that's that's what it is. Stefan Urkel. Yeah. Uh, and I hate his design. I hate his design so much. Uh, he looks like Batman. He has a black cowl with like pointy antenna sticking out the top. So in any scene where Yellow Jacket is in close up, you're just drawing Batman. Um, and he has these stupid shoulder pauldrons, these weird UFO discs <laughs> sticking out of his back that they then have to like angle backwards because otherwise you wouldn't be able to see him in profile. So there's these like unnatural oblong shapes just kind of <laughs> stapled to his body. And their whole concept is like, oh no, those are my yellow jacket's wings so I can fly and produce vibrations to shoot my zaps at people. But like, <laughs> no, they're just fucking weird disco shoulder pads that look ugly as fuck. You're a weird asshole. Fashion was weird during that time period. All right, can we just admit it? That's how this all It's happened. just a, v and, and the whole point is like, People like the wasp. People don't like you. You can't just, you're not just going to be cool wasp guy if we already have cool wasp girl. <laughs> um, so, yes. Uh, and then, of course, this leads all to the full breakdown as um, 
uh, as Yellow Jacket, a.k.a. Pym, he's feeling bad for creating Ultron. He's feeling inadequate in the Avengers. He gets taken control of by Eggman, as happens. Egghead. Egghead. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing. His number one villain. He doesn't have a Lex Luthor. He doesn't have a Red Skull. <laughs> he doesn't have Obadiah Stane. He doesn't have the Abomination. He gets Egghead. <laughs> the scientist what whose head is bald like an egg. <laughs> And he's got all these mental illnesses causing him to slap Janet. So this is the, the slap heard round the Marvel Universe. This slap. <laughs> it's very weird how in a universe as varied and prone to, to time jumps and reboots as the Marvel Comics universe, how a single thing <laughs> can define a character. And how a single thing that defines a character is kind of a mistake that actually should never well, have defined the character. Well, well, we'll see. But so it's the year is 1981 and uh, within the pages of Avengers, which is not selling well, by the a way, young whole, a, a, ba a baby, a Holden McNeely is inside of a womb at this time. The Avengers have gone through a ton of changes. They got, you know, the, for a while it was Captain America and Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. They bring in Hawkeye. Hawkeye becomes Goliath. All these things are happening. Black Knight, Swordsman, all these fucking things are happening. And the Avengers isn't, like, doing great. It is It is kind of an afterthought within the Marvel Universe. And so, uh, to jazz things up, uh, they do what every writer on the Avengers does. Domestic and abuse. Has Hank Pym freak out because it's the only source of melodrama because <laughs> you can't have Captain America being like, I think I'm bi. <laughs> like, you can't do that because Captain America has his own book and you can't just, you know. And everybody I'm just like, no, you're not. Just go, you're, you're just you're just confused. And then Hulk is like, but Hulk is bi. And everyone's like, yeah, that checks. I, that clocks. And, that and Hulk penis is orange. <laughs> I don't know why. Sal Buscema, it was a coloring mistake. I call it my Oompa Loompa. <laughs> um, Hulk going to slowly step backwards until Hulk has left room. So the way the story goes is uh, Hank Pym uh, fights a villain called the Elf Queen. And once she is defeated, he keeps like tasing her with his uh, yellow jacket zaps. And like she's already on the ground. She's already apprehended. And he's still just like just zapping her and like torturing her. And Captain America sees this and is like, bro, that's fucked up. You're going to get court-martialed for this violation of Avengers protocol. And the idea that on his on the team that he helped found, he's going to be, like, uh, reprimanded, sends him into such a tizzy that he um, begins building an evil robot <laughs> called Salvation One. That he's going to let loose against the Avengers so that he Which, can save them from the robot just in time to get the... Hey, why does he have such a big chip on his shoulder and doesn't feel like the other Avengers trust him as much? Is it because he already built an evil robot? Created an evil robot, so his solution to being the bad guy who created the evil robots to create yet another <laughs> evil robot. Two bad robots equal a good uh, superhero. You, you've heard that saying before. And so in a famous scene, Janet Van Dyne, who has at this point married Hank and like even through all the weird personality shifts and even though Yellow Jacket kidnapped her before he revealed he was Hank Pym, uh, is like, Hank, believe me, buddy, this isn't, this isn't how this should go down. Um, also, 
they started drawing the wasp in like incredibly skimpy outfits at this time like just leotards with boob windows like all these like wasp beach bingo yeah it's like they if you were a horny artist at marvel you went to town when it was time to draw janet van dyne an artist at marvel but yes yes go on just what if jackie o was built like marilyn monroe like this right the peak of 70s horniness is manifest (laughs) In Jan Van Dyne. And again, she's like the sole female voice of reason next to like a tiger woman. Mm-hmm. So like she's a beloved character. Um, so even with all the Hank Pym stuff, fans love the Wasp. And so she's like, Henry, my darling, don't do this. You're weird. While wearing like a negligee, like a white negligee, like the just American virginal beauty <laughs> just being like, my darling, no. And Hank Pym backhand slaps her. <laughs> And sends her flying. By the uh, way, perfect timing to hit the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> to, to best demonstrate the backhand slap heard heard by all the heroes of the world. And it really is something that's hard to walk away from, right? Uh, I, you know, as a society, <laughs> like, we were becoming more aware of this as an issue. Uh, fandom was con- more well-connected. Like, uh, you know, a few years later, stuff like Wizard Magazine would come out. And so, like, this slap, like, j- it was the slap heard around the world. And even then, in the issue, Hank Pym is just a giant shithead. At the court-martial, he's like, nah, I didn't torture that lady. Uh, Cap made it up because he was horny. He was so fucking horny for that villain lady. Yeah, that's right. Boo Cap. Boo Cap. And everyone's just like, what the fuck? They, they draw him all nefarious. He's like becoming a, he's, he's becoming like a golem in it's front of their eyes. so bizarre. I mean, it's such Salvation a sh- One crashes through the window. The Avengers are getting their ass kicked. Hank Pym's like, haha, now it's my turn. Uh, to save the day. See, you need me. You need me. He gets his ass kicked. <laughs> it's up to the wasp who saw the robot being built, who knew where the weak point was. The wasp is the one who actually saves the day. Nice. Then when like all the smoke clears, uh, she takes off her glasses and she has a huge fucking black eye. <laughs> like the, the epitome of after school special wife beating. Yeah. And everyone loses their shit. This is the end of Hank Pym. Yeah. Like he is. Do you a, think this was an intentional effort to get rid of this character for as long as they could? So, here's what Jim Shooter, the writer of the original issue, has to say. He claims that this was a mistake. That he wanted Hank Pym to have a fall from grace. That he wanted to have yet another, you know, kind of breakdown arc. And that the way he wrote the scene with Janet was that. Uh, she was like just kind of grabbing his shoulder and he was supposed to just like shrug her away to just be like, no, lady, I'm too maniacally focused on my work. But the way that the artist Bob Hall drew it because of the, the way the Marvel method works, where the artists have a lot of leeway to kind of uh, uh, make the action seem larger than life, drew this like dramatic slap. Shooter in his official blog post calls it a right cross, which is which it isn't. Mm. Which kind of proves that maybe he's just trying to do a little retcon. He just doesn't want responsibility. Uh, And the fact is, is Avengers wasn't even a high priority book at the time. And he didn't even get to finish his own story. It was Roger Stern who had to deal with the fallout. Mm. I think it's Jim Shooter. Like the idea that Jim Shooter, like this, uh, guys, this was all a big misunderstanding. Hank Pym isn't a wife beater. And it's one of the great tragedies of the American comics canon that he got this reputation. I don't buy it. I don't quite buy it. Because mm. if you read that issue, it is pretty brutal. Yeah, yeah. It's it's especially with the with the black guy at the end. And I don't mean to laugh because uh, I think domestic abuse is funny. I just think that um, 
the whole it's just so crazy to me for for what comic books were at that time to have I mean were they dealing with this kind of stuff this sort of dark themes at this point I mean I mean there was 80s? always there was always a level of like you know because that was the whole deal with Marvel is that they kind of dealt with like realer top. realer stuff civil rights things like that it just seems so out of but left for field a hero for, for a hero to do it a was... hero that always had I think. Maybe I guess it's it's not until Scott Lang that the comic gets more quirky and funny. Would you say? Yes, I'm actually trying to. Okay, so all right, we got a hi guys. Thanks for being patient with us. I hope you're learning. <laughs> so we got a little bit off the timeline because while all this Yellow Jacket stuff was going on, while all this Goliath melodrama was going on, uh, Marvel had already introduced Scott Lang. Oh, Scott Lang came into the picture at around uh, 1979 is yes. when he picked up the persona. Yes. So yes. for a period between 1979 and 1981, there was this weird moment where they wanted to have this Ant-Man character around because Hank Pym was shitting the bed so much. So they introduced this much more likable version. But it was this this weird tension where they had because legacy characters is a. Uh, very common in comic books. You know, mm-hmm. we've gone through three, fla- four Flashes, yeah. five uh, Robins. You know, it's it's common. But never the two of them hanging out together. Yes, which is such a cool element to, you know, the films, mm-hmm. uh, which we'll get to later, that you have the original hanging out with, with the new guy and ha- their relationship and their their just their whole vibe uh, interact. And they're not both scientists necessarily. I mean, Lang kind of is. Lang kind of. They- but, but he's like a street guy too. You know what yeah. I mean? And and that's what makes it so fascinating. You have this nerdy old scientist guy interacting with this like thief. The, the difference between a super scientist and an electrician. So uh, Scott Lang, created by David Michelini, Bob Layton, and John Byrne. And I put in parentheses sort of next to John Byrne because there's a lot of talk about how it was really David Michelini and Bob Layton. Michelini started out on DC Comics writing on House of Secrets, which was mystery, fantasy, and horror anthology, uh, before doing a couple of short runs on Swamp Thing. And then he ends up creating a sword and sorcery comic, all the sword and sorcery, but I guess that's just the time period, really, uh, called Claw the Unconquered back in 1975. It's about a barbarian that's essentially Conan, but with a claw-like right hand that's the result of a curse placed on his family. He then goes I just on. imagine a lobster claw. Did you I, also you knew you know Claw the Unconquer? The I Unconquered? just heard the name before. I don't I don't I'm not that familiar. Just uh just a giant lobster claw. He's just um uh what's his name from Dr. One Punch Zoyberg. Man? Um, oh, yeah. Crablante. Uh, Crablante. Um, so he does a run on Aquaman, which leads to a revival of an Aquaman comic in 1977. So he's already kind of known for reviving ba- like old, stale uh, franchises. And at Marvel, Michelinie is known for his work on Iron Man, introducing the character's drinking problem and speciali- and his specialized power armor variants, have- giving him like other types of suits and stuff. But I also just love that he gave him a drinking problem. That's a fun thing you get to do with uh when, when they ask you to just like jump on a franchise <laughs> this iron man he's fucking hammered now uh 
<laughs> then he starts working on the Avengers from 1978 to 1982. Um, Byrne, of course, uh, is the British-born Canadian-raised writer and artist best known for his work on the Dark Phoenix saga and Days of Future Past X-Men runs with Chris Claremont, Fantastic Four, Superman's relaunch, as well as producing indie hits later in life such as Hellboy. And Layton is known for uh, Iron Man, Hercules, and for founding Valiant Comics. Layton says about how John Byrne had nothing to do with creating uh, the Scott Lang Ant-Man. At the time, Hank Pym had become an unstable, unlikable character. I believe the mandate was to humanize the character of Ant-Man. In this instance, to make him a single parent in the persona of ex-con Scott Lang. I'm glad you asked me about those issues because many people mistakenly give John Byrne credit for co-creating those characters. John only contributed blue pencil layouts for those two stories and had nothing to do with the creation of Scott Lang. Now, just to uh, reiterate or elaborate. Around that time, though, John Byrne's name on a property gave it panache. It gave it a little bit of. And also, uh, the way they did things, if you worked on the first appearance of the character issue, you are known as a co-creator. No matter what your role in. You brought it to fruition. You brought it to life. So Michelini, apparently a fan of shrinking hero comics in general, decides to make Lang a thief with a heart of gold to bring back Ant-Man. He said, I wanted something completely different in both origin and motivation from Pym. So I came up with the idea of a reformed criminal, not an unjustly accused innocent, which would have been the expected angle. And I figured that as a burglar, he probably enjoyed the adrenaline rush of his previous job. So the excitement of heroic adventure could fill that need in him, but legally, but also like... If you're in a fantasy world, if you're in a sci-fi world, it doesn't really matter what world you're in. If your ability is to shrink down to be very tiny, then chances are you should probably be thief class. It's yeah, it's a subterfuge-based <laughs> like, power. Yeah, so so almost every Ant-Man issue is about him crawling into some place that he shouldn't be and fucking shit up. It's like even even not shrinking, but like the hobbits in Lord of the Rings, clearly thief class. Like they're tiny, they you know, like they're they can sneak around real easily, and he just so happens to get a ring that makes him invisible. He's thief class, right? So it just makes so much sense that they would bring it, and that's the perfect marriage of the character, right? Super nerdy scientist, perfect with all the pim particles and all that stuff, mixed with street tough or streetwise uh uh thief guy and that's really when you put those two things together that's where i think the heart of the franchise really opens up they all becomes yeah. much more so uh, in the enjoyable comics, and profound scott lang is this ginger guy he looks you know he's dapper he's charming he's funny he makes a lot of pop culture references that's like an early thing that they try and like kind of hang their hat on Scott Lang for is that he makes a lot of movie references, which are incredibly dated now. If you watch, if you read early Scott Lang appearances, he's always like, I haven't seen anything like this since uh, some 80s movie that's been forgotten by time. <laughs> um, but real early on, they introduce his daughter, Cassie Lang. Mm-hmm. And this is amazing. The first in his initial story in Marvel premiere number 47. Yes, Marvel premiere number 47. Yeah, He's like, my daughter, spunky, like, love of my life, loves sports, like, i do anything for her. Uh, anyway, she had a massive coronary attack, <laughs> and it's this little girl just slumping on the ground in a uh, middle of a Little League field. And uh, what presses him to go back to his life of thievery is, get this, privatized health care medical bills. <laughs> womp womp. He can't pay for his daughter's health care, and he gets desperate. So in order to track down a... Uh, experimental doctor who's an expert on laser cardiac surgery he 
sneaks into uh, Hank Pym's house and discovers the Ant-Man costume yes. and steals it. Uh, this is also where the villain Darren Cross comes from. And if you remember from the first Ant-Man, he's the bald guy. He becomes Yellow Jacket. In this story, Darren Cross is not a weird, effete businessman. He is a purple gorilla creature <laughs> who uh, his entire idea is he had experimental heart surgery done on himself. And it creates uh, and it pumps blood through his body so much that he has gigantism pink like skin like literally andre the giant looking asshole and in order to stay alive because his enhanced heart rate burns through donor hearts so quickly he has an underground like lab where he steals homeless people and forces them to donate their hearts to him fantastic it's in like compared to how you see him in the movie darren cross <laughs> is this actual pink gorilla businessman see and sometimes i wish the adaptations were a little more literal because of things like what you're describing to me right now <laughs> um it also <laughs> is this weird thing where like all the other heroes just naturally like scott lang instead of having this combative personality uh by nice. day scott works for tony stark and tony stark's like love those designs mm. like way to go scott and even hank pym uh in his yellow jacket persona at the end of the adventure is like i know it was you who stole the suit Keep it. The world needs more heroes, you cool guy. Also, I wanted to clarify a couple things. So Scott Lang is first actually just Scott Lang is introduced in Avengers number 181 in 1979. He becomes the new Ant-Man in Marvel premiere number 47 uh, and number 48. Premiere, I think, is a really interesting uh, run, by the way. I would almost want to go back and check it out because it's essentially like training ground, trying to reactivate superheroes or trying to bring like... Uh, uh, small concepts into fruition to see what the audience reaction is so that they would maybe take, you know, give them their own titles or, or re-give them their own titles. So uh, it was all uh, just testing out character concepts. Premiere ran from 1972 to 1981, and they uh, ended up, like, reviving some characters such as Man-Wolf and Black Panther actually <laughs> ends up getting um, getting back its own title back because of this this um anthology this series. anthology series so uh yeah we get back to this light funny carefree storytelling that i i think pym and ant-man had initially that was uh before his horrible mental breakdown um he uh scott lang ends up dating jessica jones in her comic alias in which he is murdered by the purple man he is brought back by scarlet witch just in time to watch his daughter who took over for him die in the hands of dr doom so there is tragedy there oh stature yeah one of the young avengers mm -hmm. um so yeah there is there is that but i think the lang you know the lang run is where they really discovered things and then we get like a million giant men goliaths and yellow jackets mm -hmm. just one after the other you've got um uh, Bill Foster hired as Pym's lab assistant. Uh, he ends up curing him when he gets stuck as Goliath before becoming Black Goliath himself, then later Giant Man. Also Black Goliath because he's a black guy. Mm -hmm. Oh, so they just I get call it him Black Goliath. Hey, which Goliath? Which go Are you talking about? Uh black Goliath. Oh, Black Goliath. Okay. <laughs> the black guy that's huge over there, the giant one. Okay. Um, he also, uh, Bill Foster's nephew, Tom Foster, ends up becoming the fifth Goliath way down the line. When he first appears in Black Panther number 23, uh, you have... Hawkeye's Goliath at some point in there. Uh, yes, Hawkeye becomes Goliath. Again, a weird thing where Hawkeye feels insecure about his ability. <laughs> so that's why he becomes Giant Man. Because, again, they're playing off the idea that, like... 
I love that idea too because we always I feel like as especially as kids like sitting around having like comic book nerd conversations and shitting on certain characters because they're really yeah. kind of very weak in comparison to other characters and Hawkeye's like totally that Hawkeye that literally literally <laughs> Hawkeye's first appearance was in an Iron Man comic and he wasn't a special agent he wasn't a CIA trained operative he wasn't the best of the best he was he was literally a sideshow attraction at Coney Island <laughs> who was upset that people cared more about Iron Man than hear me out his public archery demonstrations <laughs> uh another uh goliath the evil power man becomes the fourth goliath uh after dr carl malice gives him pym's growth formula he later turns to good you see a lot of this happen in these um d- different variant heroes uh based off of ant-man the giant man the goliath and the yellow giant they're always like evil at first and then they turn good you also have uh rita damara steals pym's suit to become a new yellow jacket to fight the wasp and turn from evil to good as well. Uh, she she has that same same situation. Uh, Pym ends up in his later days. I love this, by the way. His turn as Yellow Jacket brings him to the brink of suicide. Female hero Firebird becomes his mentor and convinces him to rejoin the Avengers, but as himself. And he uses his Pym particles to shrink other objects for battle. So I do like how the Pym storyline ends up. That he's finally like, I'm not... Ant-Man, I'm not Yellow Jacket, I'm not Giant Man, I'm not Goliath, I'm Pym, I'm me, which I think is pretty sweet. Nobody cares. <laughs> Nobody cares. Well, do you care about Eric O'Grady? Uh, you know what? Actually, this is Kirkman's thing, right? Yes, created by Robert Kirkman, of course, from The Walking Dead series and a wonderful series called Invincible, by the way. Love Invincible. And Phil Hester is the other guy. Hester is known for penciling on Swamp Thing and Green Arrow. Uh, it is called the Irredeemable Ant-Man, and it uh, starts its short run in 06 for only 12 issues. And essentially, O'Grady is a complete and utter fucking piece of shit. Uh, it's kind of hilarious. He's uh, he's very bad at being a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, so he steals Pym's tech and becomes new, new Ant-Man. I wish they'd find a new way to like have them acquire Pym's suit other than just straight stealing it. Well, this, everybody just steals his shit. It's... it's... It just reveals this weird loophole within the Marvel Universe that if you have all these super scientists running around for 80 years of adventures, you're going to have some super tech lying around <laughs> that just any asshole can pick up. I mean, it is, you know, Murphy's Law, right? It's the simplest solution, mm. right? Uh, so anyways, uh, he uses this suit, not for good, but to steal stuff and ogle women in the shower. Uh, he only saves girls that he has the hots for so that you can try to fuck them. Uh, he ends up even goes as far as to sneak into Miss Marvel's purse. And that's a whole to do, right? That's a whole issue. And the last the last issue actually made fun of his own cancellation. O'Grady is seen screaming in spite at a giant group of canceled comic book characters that are just all like coming after it, coming at him. Uh, it's a whole tongue in cheek, like clearly trying to subvert you know, previous Marvel genre storyline stuff, trying to just totally make just like, um, how would you even describe it? He's like fart man or something. He's like booger man in, in, yeah, yeah. in video games. You know what I mean? He's, um, oh, what is it? He's, uh, uh, conquers bad fur day of, uh, the conquers bad fur day of Marvel comics. He later ends up joining the initiative and then the new Thunderbolts team, uh, then the secret Avengers, and is killed off in 2012 in issue number 23. But he is replaced by a life model decoy robot um, that is named renamed Black Ant. 
and that is created by Shield. That also dies. So comics, everybody. Comics, comic books, comic books. Do you have anything else to say about the Lang Run, about O'Grady, or anything like that before we get into the movies? So the character of Ant Man is this. We talked. It's this giant meta thing where a character has to come to terms with his own unpopularity and the ways that kind of inadequacy can warp a person mm. and it's uh whether or not it's cynical attempts to try and like create a marketable character or if it's genuine explorations into darkness the the character is never going to go away like he's just too much enmeshed into the web of this beloved universe that, you know, it's up to other it's it's kind of a gift to new generations of writers to kind of uh, process feelings and kind of t take risks that you couldn't take with other established characters. And it's kind of it's kind of amazing. I'm reminded of Dan Slott, who did a great run on the Mighty Avengers, where famously <laughs> it's, it's this you can it's. These panels have been reposted everywhere, but it's uh, Hank Pym is stuck in like a pocket dimension and he calls the Baxter building and it's like, hey, Reed, listen, uh, Black Goliath had some tech. I was uh, a scroll at the time, so I didn't get to get it when he died. But I need uh, if you can send it over to me, it'd be great because I'm in the middle of a dimension problem. <laughs> and and Reed Richards in the middle of the Baxter building is like, uh, no, I'm not. Um, I don't trust you. You're kind of a freak and a weirdo. <laughs> And uh, Hank Pym's like, that's my technology. I'm I'm Hank Pym. Those are Pym particles. I'm the world's greatest expert. Like, you can't just deny me my creation. And Reed Richards just very casually just goes like, Hank, I know more about Pym particles than you do. The entire Mighty Avengers team just goes like, oh, shit. <laughs> and like, without blinking, this, this superhero, this square-jawed American superhero looks Reed Richards in the eye and just goes, it's on, bitch. And like, the rest <laughs> of the uh, storyline is about them trying to infiltrate the Baxter building because Hank Pym has such a chip on his shoulder. <laughs> um, they've done all sorts of weird stuff. He became the Scientist Supreme, which is kind of this weird, like, science mirror to Doctor Strange. At one point, he becomes, like, fused with Ultron in the Vision and is, like, becomes a star baby. I don't know if he's alive right now in the comics. And the Wasp has, like, been killed and alive and, like, people try and redeem her, but she's kind of come into her own as this kind of, uh, she... She has I, she has the same amount of gravity that a Captain America or a Thor does. Like the other, the newer generations of heroes are like, oh shit, that's Janet Van Dyne. Yeah, she and she really is awesome in uh, the movies. Like mm -hmm. she, I, I really in, in the whole Marvel franchise, they they did a great job with that character and making her really before even Captain Marvel one of the strongest female heroes of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, you have you have um, which am I called Scarlett Johansson, Johansson, um, Black Widow, Black Widow. Thank you, God, I had a brain fart just then. You have Black Widow pretty much from the very beginning, but Black Widow never gets her own marquee title. She doesn't have you know her own story doesn't get told. She should. That'd be great. I would hey. I would check out a Black Widow uh, movie. It's Scarlett Johansson like never cared that much about this <laughs> but uh yeah I I you know I think that it's such a cool that that is I think the coolest thing to come out of. The Ant-Man franchise is the Wasp, which is a perfect tying it up in a bow. What this whole thing is from a distance, like Ant-Man is <laughs> as good as the Wasp, yeah. which is like, but it's never about almost. It's almost never about Ant-Man himself, you know. It's like it's just the crazy shit that came out of this try-hard concept or or this or this concept that they at least attempted to again and again make 
useful and interesting and relevant for um, the cast uh, or for, you know, the rest of the heroes. And at the same time, I love that you brought to light the idea, which I would like to think is true, that it's literally just because they couldn't get rid of him because he was one of the co-founders of the Avengers. And if almost they could go back and somehow erase that moment in history of making him an Avenger, we probably wouldn't get the Ant-Man that we get today, which I like, the Rudd Ant-Man and everything, you know? Um, it's Yeah, I don't want to shit on him too much because there's, there's a beautiful tragedy to the character. Yeah, it's and, a beautiful tragedy. And the Lang Ant-Man, I mean... the And it's something that is uniquely Marvel. Like, this yeah. is, like... Hank Pym is definitely not a DC hero. Yeah. He is not an image badass hero. Yeah. He is flawed. He is pained. He is... Uh, Two different guys. He is... <laughs> it's like... And... And... and yeah, and I was watching last night uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and we'll get into the movies in just a second, but I was watching last night, and I just thought to myself, I was like, I think my favorite ones are, like, the fun romp-type heroes, you know? Yeah. Which, I mean, like, I just saw Shazam, which was a lot of fun. This is in the same line. Deadpool is a little almost over the top, but but in the same realm of... It's... Yes, the stakes are high, there's a lot going on, but it's also really funny, and it never ceases to be, like, Ant-Man and the Wasp never ceases to be funny, even in its most suspenseful moments of you that You say that, movie. but you're going to cry your little eyes out at Endgame, and you're going to be like, uh, heroes, goodness. <laughs> well, let's talk about the Ant-Man film. Initially, Stan Lee, by the way, this story, the story of the Ant-Man film, the most interesting part of it, the part we'll focus on in You're talking about episode. how Howard Stern said once in a radio show that he had tried to buy the rights himself. Yes, that's exactly what the most interesting <laughs> part is. No, but I was going to say the most interesting part about Ant-Man is its own development hell. That is the story we'll really be telling, I think, mostly with this uh, coverage of the Ant-Man film. Initially, Stanley pitches an idea for an Ant-Man picture with New World Pictures, Marvel's parent company back then. But get ready for a callback. Since Disney had Honey, I Shrunk the Kids coming out, <laughs> it was tabled. I love that Honey, I Shrunk the Kids kept it from becoming a thing back then. And apparently, also, as you say, Howard Stern tried to get the movie to happen in 2000. Now, Artisan announces a deal with Marvel to co-produce, finance, and distribute a film. In 03, Edgar Wright, director of Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, along with his writing partner Joe Cornish, who's known as being the director of Attack the Block. If you haven't seen Attack the Block, you need to fucking watch Attack the Block. They write a treatment together, and Wright says about this, The thing I like about Ant-Man is that it's not like a secret power. There's no supernatural element, or it's not a genetic thing. There's no gamma rays. It's just like the suit and the gas. So in that sense, it really appealed to me in terms that we could do something high concept, really visual, cross genre, sort of an action and special effects bonanza, but funny as well. It takes over a decade of development to get the film into pre-production. The concept that was initially pitched was one that sounds really cool. It would, but very complicated. It would bounce back and forth between Pym in the 60s and Lang in present day until they finally meet each other in present day and have to work together, which I think would have been a lot of fun. And they dabble with that a little bit in what the movies are, especially with Ant-Man and the Wasp. And I know that Michael Douglas has even stated, like, for the next movie, he said they're talking about having it be Pym in the 60s. I think Douglas really wants to be a young Pym. He said that after he saw how he looked de-aged in Endgame. It was like, ah, oh, sweet. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, they did a lot of de-aging to him and Michelle Pfeiffer in, uh, also in Ant-Man and the Wasp. And yeah. yeah, it's really interesting to see. But anywho, um, Artisan asked for something more family-friendly from Wright. 
And apparently, uh, Artisan never shows the script to Marvel. A couple years later, Wright's development deal gets brought back with Kevin Feig, of course, the producer on. Does he produce all of them? Yes, yeah, he's yeah. the guy. Um, he's the man. So, and this was during the early Marvel, this was phase one Marvel, uh -huh. where the entire concept was, we're going to give these characters to more visionary independent directors who kind of have um, who have a little bit of edge and a little bit of style who can make something who understand why these heroes like mattered why these heroes were appealing in the first place rather than just kind of giving it off to a soulless blockbuster director who's like never really understood the who's basically you know the pattern of early superhero films yes where Literally, it was about shaving away the comic bookiness yeah. of these characters to make them movie characters, right. and it never worked right because these because it because these two universes couldn't couldn't coexist. The only way that really Iron Man and to a lesser extent the X Men movies and Richard Donner's Superman worked is because they just let these characters be comic book characters. Yes, absolutely. And I also am glad you bring this up about Marvel. What Phase One, right? Yeah. Is what it's called. You, you have to understand, that is in the backdrop during all of this. And so all of this development hell is so largely completely affected by the directions they decide to go over time as they're still trying to develop this project here. So yes, Ant-Man, as you say, it is the first, actually, to be slated as part of a new deal Marvel makes to self-produce movie adaptations of lesser-known characters. And this is actually based off of a $525 million loan from Merrill Lynch. So it's just allowing them to skirt around some of the Hollywood industry stuff and be able to just make their own stuff how they want to make it. Which uh, we might have to do a Marvel... I mean, we should have been... Marvel on Cinematic Universe episode? Yeah, because this was oh, yeah. such a... Because Marvel was flat, you know, going bankrupt every other like, yeah. year. Oh, we can totally do one on the whole thing. Absolutely, for sure. Um, so anyways, Ant-Man is officially announced at San Diego Comic-Con in 2006, but several rewrites take place through to 2012, during which they get away from the original treatment and change it into more of an action-adventure sci-fi film with comedic elements. There is test footage that is screened at San Diego Comic-Con in 2012 and gets a good reaction. Later that year... This Mar is the hallway fight where like uh, Ant-Man is shown running across the gun and yep. just taking out guards with some very novel fight choreography involving like shrinking and unshrinking. Yes, which is a lot of fun still to see. Like watching Ant-Man and the Wasp last night, that's the best moments, right? When they nail that switch back and forth within an action sequence and it looks so smooth and fun and exciting. You can never predict what's going to happen because like you can't, it's moving so fast. <laughs> And you, you would never think like, oh, she'll get huge there and then she'll get tiny there. Um, anyways, the uh, later that year, Marvel announces a release date of November 2015 and pre-production begins in late 2013. But then there's issues with where the production is going to take place. There's this whole fiasco with the UK studio system they were going to be working with. They were supposed to be building these extra studios, and they didn't get it done in time. Plus, while all this is happening, Edgar Wright is working as an actual director and getting to make all these other movies. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, I think, is one of the biggest one he's, ones he's dealing with while all this is going on. And so uh, they and, end, uh, World's End. And World's End. So they end up having to move uh, production back to the U.S., so that's causing all these delays. Paul Rudd, during during this time is cast as Ant-Man at the end of the year, and later Michael Douglas is cast as Pym. Amazing casting, by the way. Can we just state, state that for the record? I think Rudd is just <laughs> fucking perfect to play Lang. Michael Douglas, fantastic Pym. He's such a funny Pym. And he has that, like, it's amazing how they never really address uh, the slap or any of Hank Pym's darker moments 
in the movie, but Michael Douglas just has this like weird old angry man menace about him that like you wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if it like he's yep. there there is a darkness to his performance that kind of carries unspoken the weight but of he's, Hank Pym. But he's able to give these great moments of levity as well that work so well for the character and don't seem out of place. I really love him and Rudd's performance and I love how involved Rudd gets in the writing of it. It, it it's kind of like the Deadpool thing with um What's his fucking Ryan Reynolds. stupid face? It's kind of like the Deadpool thing with Ryan Reynolds. Like I, and also with Hugh Jackman did the same thing with Wolverine where they're just, I love seeing the actor portraying the part get so excited about it that he's like in the writer's room really trying to have a big hand in things in a good way. So anyways, they turn in a final draft in early 2014. That's Wright and his writing partner, what was it, Joe Cornish, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and in May, Marvel and Wright announced he's stepping away from the project. Wright says, I wanted to make a Marvel movie, but I don't think they really wanted to make an Edgar Wright movie. Evangeline Lilly, also, by the way, fantastic as the Wasp, says uh, Wright's movie would have been such a riot to film, and it would have been so much fun to watch, but it wouldn't have fit in the Marvel Universe. It would have stuck out like a sore thumb no matter how good it was. Also, Evangeline Lilly said that um, the, the rewrites that happened, she got to actually have input and make her character much more substantial. A lot of the kind of mentorship the fight you know basically the badass wasp that we see in the current movie really wasn't in the edgar wright one interesting um and what what kind of factored into this was the disney acquisition yeah so that's the thing and and so i think wright would have been able to have made his movie if he uh, but, managed, if they had managed to get it out the door during phase one. Yes, but they didn't get it out the door in time. So the whole landscape changes. I mean, yeah, exactly. With the Disney acquisition, right? So in, so instead of bringing on uh, Edgar Wright, who is this incredible director. Like, I mean, did I, I don't know how you felt about Baby Driver. I, lo- I love love. Yeah. It's baby baby driver's cool. It's not like amazing to but me. But even but as a but as a writer director, getting that much control over every rhythm, every frame of a movie that's the reason why right it was really hard for him to work with the on on something like this and i don't think it's it's really his realm because in this you have to give up uh, some of your vision to the to the to the marvel people to the studio people especially once disney takes over Mm -hmm. and Wright's not used to that so the moment that Edgar, that they're like, we want to make, the big defining moment was Marvel was like, we want to do a rewrite on the script. Yeah, they need an edit. And he, I think that was the moment in his, in Wright's mind where he was like, fuck this. Because mm-hmm. that's not the way he's used to working. He's used to having, you know, Shaun of the Dead, e- even. and The way he makes movies, it's, he's like a comic book artist with movement. Yeah. It's, I... I would have loved to see his Ant-Man. Yeah. And at the same time, I agree that his Ant-Man, Ant-Man probably wouldn't have ended up in the Avengers Endgame. If Wright had made that Ant Man, who kn- it could have been? Knows? It could have been thrown in the memory hole alongside the uh, alongside the 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 first Hulk. But I agree exactly, right? Because I agree that Ant Man that his Ant Man would have felt not connected. to It would have been an Edgar Wright movie. It would have totally been an Edgar Wright movie. So uh, you've got Adam McKay uh, in talks to replace Wright, but because he is uh, has such a respect for Wright, he ends up not replacing him as director, but in a compromise, he ends up signing on as a contributor because he wants to help out his friend, Paul Rudd. Mm-hmm. So he's there really just in Rudd's corner to make this thing work. Um, and then they get uh, Peyton Reed to sign on to direct. And I think that was a really smart choice for them. Peyton Reed is from, I had to shout this out, Raleigh, North Carolina. 
Carolina. He went to UNC <laughs> Chapel Hill. Go Heels. He ends up going on to direct uh, Bring It On and Yes Man starring Jim Carrey before getting Ant-Man. And I think that's perfect. And the other movies he's known for are these sweet, cute, romantic comedies. And I think that's a really smart idea for the Ant-Man franchise because it's a smaller story. And it's a it's a it is a cuter story a little bit. It is. You know what I mean? Like not not to not in a bad way, mm-hmm. but it. I think romantic comedy director as opposed to like director of Fast and the Furious or something, way better for an Ant-Man franchise. Uh, one thing I learned that was like kind of shocking is uh, Michael Pena's character uh, and the way that they do those fast cut uh, kind of uh, uh, storytelling montages. Those weren't in the Edgar Wright cut, mm. even though that feels like such an Edgar Wright uh, uh, gimmick, a, a trick. You know what I mean? Uh, Rudd also gets involved in reworking the script, as I said, and he had this to say about it. The idea, the trajectory, the goal, and the blueprint of it all is really Edgar and Joe, but that we changed some scenes. We added new sequences, like you just mentioned, Jake. We changed some characters. We added new characters. McKay said of all of this, the two of us hold up in a room in hotel rooms on the east and west coast, and I think it was like six to eight weeks. We just grounded out and did a giant rewrite on the script. I was really proud of what we did. I really thought we put some amazing stuff in there and built on an already strong script from Edgar Wright and sort of just enhanced some stuff. So principal photography begins in August of 2014. It wraps in December of 2014. Um, and they even uh, – one, one of the interesting things, they brought on a quantum physicist from the Institute of Quantum Information and Matter at the California Institute sounds of Technology named uh, – Yeah, this definitely sounds made up. His name is uh, Spyrid, Spyridon uh, Michalakis, <laughs> and he is uh, – he consults on the science of getting extremely small. And in terms of uh, his advice for creating the um, – what is it called again? The microverse, right? Uh, they, it's the microverse in the comics, but they keep calling it the quantum realm in the, the quantum Quantum realm in the movie. He describes this subatomic realm as a place of infinite possibility, an alternative universe where the laws of physics and forces of nature as we know them haven't crystallized. And he suggested to them that it should be represented in the film by beautiful colors changing constantly to reflect transience. It is well received. It makes a solid amount of cash, which leads to Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, our final little bit of this uh, epic Ant-Man tale. Peyton Reed says about this film it's such a no-brainer that there needs to be female heroes in the 60s comics the janet van dyne wasp was clearly written by all men and was pretty one-dimensional she's gotten much more dimensionalized since then that's one of those things that i think is going to be really exciting so you have to remember uh listeners <laughs> this is the first mark like i said marquee titled female superhero even before captain marvel even though of course she has to be accompanied by the a man in the fucking title also just to throw this out there just to throw some breadcrumbs to our our the 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 wokey people yes within like 30 years or so the badass like cool ass kicky lady is going to feel just as dated and like one dimensional as like the va va voom boys i'd rather go shopping yeah yeah yeah. just write people like people people are strong people are weak people are conflicted people are people um i side note i was uh drawing i was writing the uh last issue of uh the legend of jared comic series you know Uh on dropout.tv yeah and i had we had like one female character and she was kind of one dimensional and i asked a female friend of mine to um like help me because I was like I'm I'm falling short. This is something I'm bad at. And she all she did all she did was make her a furry. Ha! 
And like that gave her enough of like a weird flaw and drive <laughs> that like it made her a person instead of just like a, oh you boys character. <laughs> um Reed always felt that the wasp final line of Ant-Man uh, which was, it's about damn time, had a double meaning for Reed. Reed said, it is absolutely about a larger thing. It's about damn time. We're going to have a fully realized, very, very complicated hero in the next movie who happens to be a woman. They wanted to make sure the Wasp had equal publicity to Ant-Man leading up to the to the showing of the film. Uh, and they changed the genre uh, from a heist action film to a romantic comedy and action film mixed together. The film debuts in July of 2018 in the U.S. Peter Travers from Rolling Stone said, and I think this is a pretty good quote to sum it up, the secret of Ant-Man and the Wasp is that it works best when it doesn't try so hard, when it lets charm trump excess and proves that less can be more even in the Marvel Universe. Um, and I agree. I watched it last night. I thought it was a fun romp. It is such a superhero movie to the point where I'm, I'm starting to get a little like, okay, I need to see Endgame and like take a break for a while. You're going to – spoiler alert, through the quantum realm, we're recording this before Holden saw Endgame. Uh, you're going to love how they treat Ant-Man in, in this in Endgame. Fantastic. I can't wait to see that because I really do love the franchise. And, and of course, the bumper, the mid-credits uh, – spoiler alert, the mid-credit um, – role for Ant-Man and the Wasp that is is Ant-Man going into the quantum realm to get some healing stuff for uh, Ghost, which we didn't even talk about Ghost, a really strong female villain in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Really, really great character uh, performance. Um, he ends up going into the Ant-Man, uh, to, to the quantum realm for whatever reason uh, to get her some healing juice and <laughs> essentially... Yeah, yeah, time juice. And uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, Michael Douglas, and Evangeline Lilly are out in the real world and they get snapped and, yeah. and turn to ash. So he's... Uh, a, at the beginning of Endgame, definitely we know this. He's trapped in the quantum realm, and we'll see what happens there. But I am very excited to check it out. Of course, as I said, they're in talks for a third Ant-Man movie as well. No shit. Of course they are. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I think that pretty much is it, Jake. That was a long epic. We got we got a lot of mileage out of Ant-Man, bro. Little hero. Big story. Big fucking story. Oh, I shat my pants. Odd twists and turns. Mental illness. <laughs> domestic abuse. Why? Every time I do these superhero episodes, there's always some fucked up corner of it where I'm just like, what were you guys on when you wrote Drugs. This? They were on drugs. They're on tons of drugs. Thank you, everybody, so much for joining us. Um, if you'd like to follow us further, check out our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. You can follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. You can follow me on Twitter at BestJakeYoung. And hey, if you like the show, if you like what we do, uh, leave a review on iTunes. Please. It helps us out immensely. So much. Check out the Facebook group. Look up Wizard and the Bruiser on Facebook and enjoy all the discussions. Uh, go to patreon.com slash whizbrew and listen to our weekly bonus show where we go in depth on all sorts of topics uh, of the day. And, uh, you know, uh, support us because we, we, without you, none of this can happen. And as always, uh, keep on whizzing. Never stop bruising! This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.